People who don't understand the financial structures and the finance side of things, if they try to build a nine-bedroom, nine-bathroom without attending to some of the intricacies and you know some of the risks in building these and getting them approved, etc., you can expose yourself to significant amount of you know risks where you have a land that you cannot build anything on, for example, because you haven't done the due diligence. Hello and welcome to another episode of Help Me Buy Property Podcast. I have my co-host here today with me, Cheryl Leong. Hello, Cheryl. How are you today? I am always awesome, Moss, especially when we're talking cool property strategies. And that's what we I know, right? Hey. I know. It's a, it's a very, very interesting topic today. And we thought that we would talk about it as almost six episodes and so stay tuned till the very end and do come back to watch pretty much each and every episode the topic that we're discussing today is basically six strategies to make six figures and each strategy is 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 an episode of its own i'll try to summarize this and then we will pick one of those strategies today to discuss in a lot more detail now, understanding that all of these strategies are not get-rich-quick schemes, right? The numbers need to work on paper before you implement any of these strategies in real. So you have to be super, super conservative and you you know, talk about the feasibilities, the due diligence, the conservatism, the contingencies, etc., all of that. Let's talk about the, the six strategies that we are going to talk about. And uh, the first one, of course, off the cap of the ranks that wins by the mile is basically developments and developments could be various different types you can talk about small scale developments or full scale developments you talk about small scale developments you're talking about hammerheads you're talking about you know small subdivisions you can talk about land subdivisions so there's heaps of stuff that we can definitely cover that then you have the second strategy which is renovations and so you know, you can definitely generate six figures in renovations and we'll talk about various different types of renovations, residential renovations, dual income res- renovations and commercial renovations. Again, come back and watch that episode when we are actually going to talk about that. The third cap of the rank that we are going to discuss today is basically rooming houses or co-living spaces or people call it HMOs, which is housing multiple occupants. And so let's stop there and let's open the can of worms when it comes to co-living space. I know, Cheryl, this is one of your most favorite topics. This is one, Talk of, my, to me, but one of my What is it? One of my favorites uh, for so many reasons. Um, so I know that we've always been looking at high, high yield. We have um, personally been looking at high yield and multiple, multiple income streams and not only ones that in multiple income streams, which helps you diversify your your risk. However, also to be able to go, okay, there is a real need in the market at the moment for affordable rentals. And affordable rentals that doesn't involve people sharing toilets and sharing sort of those essential amenities. Nobody wants to share toilets. Cooked to that together in the kitchen. So when I came across Cold Living, Absolutely loved it at the time that it was very much taboo because people, you know, in New South Wales in particular, they're still considered boarding houses. They're called boarding houses. And when people think boarding houses, there's a real stigma attached to it. Yes. And, and yes. Rooming houses. 
sounds a little bit better than boarding houses. So people thinking yes. boarding houses are druggies, bikies, just all the derelicts and everything else. Um, yes. Yeah. You know, maybe in the, the old days, maybe that might have been the case, the old maybe social housing type models or whichever that might be. But I said it, it's a misconception more than anything else because when you look at the, the new age, what they call it, new generation boarding houses and um, in Victoria, they refer to as rooming houses in Adelaide, so in, um, in Western Australia, then HMOs. So, Different sort of terms, they're all a little bit different. But what we're seeing here is that potentially you've got incomes from five to nine incomes in one property. Yeah. Which is yeah. also a premium income, which can be from 250 to 360 on average. Yes. So if you do the maths there, say on average it's 300, 300 for a room, which is often fully furnished. So you've got someone who, you know, is is a young professional. They don't want to have all the furniture. They don't want to be lugging, lumping, van and buying stuff off country. But this property, I just moved straight into. It's got a bed. It's got everything else that I, that I need. Yeah. So it's so convenient yeah. from that aspect. But then you go back to the rates again. You've got 300 and say you have, say, average six bedrooms. What's the numbers there? Three times yeah. six. Well, you're looking at almost what eighteen hundred, isn't it? Eighteen hundred a week a in week. rent. Yeah, a week. Whereas a house in that that, that same suburb probably be doing a third of that or half of that. Yes, if you want. Yeah. But the risk yeah. there with the house is that once that tenant moves out, that's all your income. And, and unless there's someone that moves in straight away, whereas definitely you've got six tenants in one property, and if one moves out, you've got five. If two moves out, you've got four. And so, yeah. You know, and and because there's so many, they know there's a diversification. It's really really attractive. So I know I'm getting all excited about it, but it is one of those reasons. So. You know, what What? What do you like about rooming houses? And Talk to me a bit about, and so when I first heard about rooming houses and, you know, I've, you know, one of the taboo things about rooming houses that you've mentioned also, how do you differentiate these from motels? You know, you can buy motels at that sort of price point. You, you've talked about boarding houses. How do you see the differentiation coming through? Of course, you know, one of the stereotypes that is out there for rooming houses is that, how are you going to sell these or what are you going to do with these and who is going to manage these and we'll cover all of those things and how do you actually make money. But let's start off with talking about, well, how do you differentiate these from temporary motels, you know, um, yeah. where you would have or block of apartments or block of units? Yeah. So, so say for a motel, and this is my my understanding with, and, and, you know, I'd love to hear you also where you've got a motel where it is really short-term rental in that sort of Airbnb style. You know, you've got someone that might stay mm. a day, a two days, maximum a week, whatever that might be. Uh, people are not living there for a long time. Whereas the way, and so they've got, got really large transactions. In saying that, motels can still, they're still really good yielding, but then you've got a lot more management that goes into that. Definitely. Whereas I look at rooming houses 
And the way that they're set up now, it is it is for longer term rentals. So you and I seen longer term rentals, you've got six to twelve months, like average six to twelve months that someone living living yeah. there. And so then you've got less transaction costs. And the more attractive you make a rooming house, obviously people are gonna want to be staying there for longer as well. It, yeah, it definitely makes sense. I think um, if you talk about motels or short stay rentals, you know they, you know, you get that image of you know a, a tiny highway, you know, next to a highway, tiny sort of motel, ugly looking motel where you would pay like seventy dollars a night and just do a one nighter with terrible beds. You know, roaming houses is a lot more boutique, a lot more posh, sort of attractive product where you are trying to attract quality tenants as well you're not attracting you know um you know naturally you know you would attract students as well but you know you want to attract professionals you want to attract people who are earning good income single parents you know typically and so there are various different ideas you know as to what the location of these roaming houses can naturally be yeah so Yes, yes. And so, again, we are talking only about Victorian roaming houses, right? And so, you know, four bedroom to nine bedroom, right? You know, that's what the headspace is. You know, you can put as many people as you want or as many rooms as you want. I think up to 12 with nine bedrooms and you can create sharing, non-sharing, individual bathroom, not individual bathroom. What is the biggest problem in the roaming house space when you're going into the nine bedroom, nine bathroom sort of space? Talk to us a bit about that as to why don't people just naturally go for it if it's so good, right? People look at it, it it's, the, it's the people management. It's not property management when you come to, to rooming, it's people management. So you're talking about up to 12 people who are unrelated. Um, yes. And so then the different personalities, they're going to be, there's going to be some level of potential friction in, in the residents that are, that are in there. So the, finding the right people that are going to be part of that little community that you're creating, you know, the right home living is be the work community is really a, a, an important part. So having uh, a property or room manager that really understands this space and really understands how to manage people is incredibly important. So I've seen situations where someone has set up rooming houses but has failed because they literally did not spend the, the amount of time to really understand that dynamics and how to make that work. Yes. So yes. that's the one and bit where people also go, Oh, if that doesn't work out, then how do I sell this? You know, who's going to buy? Who's going to yes, buy this? Definitely. And when you're talking about roaming houses, of course, there is two thinking around this. There is custom build brand new roaming houses where you get the tax benefits, where you get the you know all of the bells and the whistles. And then you're talking about established homes, which are big houses, four bedroom, two bathroom, five bedroom, six bedroom, two bathroom houses where people are actually converting them into, you know, seven or eight bedroom rooming houses with two shared, you know, say, for example, toilets for, you know, to push the yield up. And naturally, what you are saying is that the overall fixed cost still remains the same. Yes, you know, you have to pay for the bills. Yes, you have to, you know, catch all of those insurances and water bills, etc. But, you know, that uptick of, 
you know, getting so much rental in place still leaves you with a healthy amount of cash flow back into your pocket. The other important question is, you know, who finances them? I know that there was a big question previously, right? As to, okay, you know, how do you work these finances out? Oh, you and I know that it has been an absolute sort of wild goose chase to find the right financial solution for this. Because for a long time, the major banks did not want to really, they, they didn't know how to do with this this type of product because they like, yes. well, it's, it's like a house, but there's six or nine bedrooms. And because the six or nine bedrooms, I actually think it's going to be less attractive for someone to buy, which is really quite odd because these properties, you know, they'd be, they would gross over 100000 a year. That's six figures we're talking about. We're, you're talking about, you know, six strategies for six figures. However, the banks would look at it and go, I'm really not sure what this is. It's high risk. It's, um, I'm going to make sure the LVRs are really unattractive. So, you know, you'd have to have 60% LVRs and 70% LVR. Almost treating it like a commercial property to a certain extent. Yes. Um, but not valuing it as you would have But yeah. we're seeing now as more as, as this becomes a little bit more mainstream or then the lenders are seeing that the model works. The lenders are seeing that there is a demand for it. We are starting seeing lenders who are going, hey, actually this is this is a really cool product which creates really strong income. There's a demand for it. Why don't we combine the the benefits of a cap rate, like a commercial rate, and value it to a you know a pseudo commercial commercial rate as well. So there it yes. lies. We talked about not just the the cash flow aspect of it, but if you're building one of these brand new and purpose built, then there's this extra bonus of an equity uplift as yes. well, which. Yes not seeing in a lot of house and land builds, right? The traditional house, yes. like when it's traditional, like the how you're doing house and land at the moment, we're struggling yep. to get the valuations because build is so expensive. However, Definitely. with rooming and be, be, being able to uh, to throw in that, that other level of cap rate, you're started, we're starting to see that, aren't we? Yes, yes. yes. And if, if I can explain that through an example so the listeners can understand it a bit better, a nine-bedroom, nine-bathroom, so I'm building three of them at this stage, uh, one for myself, two for the clients, potentially going to build 10 of these, at least this side of June. And so if you think about the numbers, you know, we acquired, or I'll talk about mine, my, my, myself one, I bought the land for about 250, which is a 700 square meter block in an RGZ zone. Uh, of course, it's not metro, but it's very close to metro. It's still non-metro. I'm building a nine-bedroom custom-designed house on this nine-bedroom, nine-bathroom, expecting a rent of around three hundred. So, crossing it at about hundred and forty thousand dollars a year. Even if you take worst-case scenario, say ninety percent occupancy, not hundred percent occupancy, you're still looking at hundred and twenty-five to hundred twenty thousand dollar gross. You take the income out, so all the expenses paid, you're looking at 90000 net. You take the mortgage out, you're almost looking at about, in today's terms, say 6%, even if I assume 6% interest rate, we are talking at about 50000 net return every year. 
Now, this is where the interesting bit is where you're talking about these are residential products in today's time. And so they're giving residential interest rates on these, but are being valued at commercial valuation. So a product like this costed me around $9.50 to build, including the land price. Yeah. Uh, valued because they are valued based on commercial valuation. So you have to show them what the the value of the leases are. You have to show them what, you know, these are rented at, you know, usually in some of these areas. And so the commercial valuation of the property was actually a million dollars, not 950. So it was slightly higher, which is good, but it's not significantly higher because what they do is they take a much more conservative approach. And so while they are giving us a cap rate of, I think around 6.75% or 6.5%, the rent that they're assuming is only around 240 or 250 per week. Okay, whereas these are actually rented at 300 or 290 or 280, 285 to 290 per week, sometimes even 300 per week. And so at completion, once you put the full tenancy in place and you have all the rooms tenanted and you go back to do the valuation because the cap rate doesn't change, the valuation automatically jumps. And so eight months down the track, you've done, you've done the build, you've put the tenants in there because these are single story, very quick and easy and dirty to build you can almost push the valuation from a million to almost 1.3, 1.4 million in this particular product I'm talking about, right? For places where the cap rates are different, you can get significantly higher valuations as well. So from my perspective, I'm saying, okay, million dollar, the bank wanted me to put 20%, so I put $200,000 in, 1.3 million, I get my money back plus something on the top. I can do one every year and generate $50,000. And so I'm technically yeah. making almost like $80,000 just by doing one plus an extra rental of 50K. I do two every year or one every two years, say, for example. Two of these is 100,000. Four of these is, you know, people are ready to retire, right? You know, more from a cash flow perspective. So yeah, absolutely. naturally that's the attraction that comes in place. This is this is with lending, right? So if you're you know, if you decide that you've got a whole lot of cash that you go, oh, I don't want to leverage any any lending and put now put all your funds in here, then there's over a hundred thousand dollars of income income there or you know, net Definitely. ninety ninety. So I guess the the question that people may ask is going, Well, must you bought the land for two 250 or whichever how much is your neighbor worth how much is my neighbor worth yeah that's a very good question so the neighbor who has a four bedroom two bathroom house is worth somewhere around 740 so 730 740 because he has built a you know brand new house right and so it's it's not fairly different right you know i have a nine bedroom of course you know a significantly bigger house I'm sitting at almost 300 squares versus the neighbor might slightly be lower, but he has all the bells and whistles. So yeah, for an extra 200,000 on top, you know, I would say 750 to 950, right? I'm making four times the money that he would make on the rental, probably more, like, you know, four times his you know, way. You know, I mean, he can rent his house, the whole house for, you know, 420 or 450 per week. I'm making 300 multiplied by nine, that's $2,700 a week, you know? So it's ridiculously more than what he would be making, right? And and if you compare these to even commercial properties, right? You know, they beat the commercial properties by a mile because, you know, the net yields on the commercial properties 
in a good day sits at around five and a half to six percent. You know, they boast seven percent yield versus the interest rates are significantly higher in the commercial space. When you talk about residential rates, these are significantly lower. The beauty of this is this, right? And this is where I was convinced that you don't have to build nine by nine. You can do six by six, four by four, four by three, three by three, you know, five by five. There is so much opportunity. And uh, the dawning moment for me was that people who are trying to buy in Melbourne, for example, okay, and they're like, okay, I want to buy in Melbourne because Melbourne offers mature growth. You would rather buy four by three, for example, rooming house, that or six by six rooming house, for example, that you can convert into a normal house in the future and still sell it or move into it, right? And so it's best of the both worlds rather than just buying a typical product four bedroom, two bathroom and seek a rent of 420 significantly negatively geared where Melbourne does not offer you higher yields at all anyway. Yeah. So I think that's where the biggest point of difference is, especially in, in the Melbourne space. Yeah, that's a really good point. So I mean, we've got, we've got six, six bedroom rooming houses and, and that can be easily converted back to a four bedroom plus study plus rampant type scenario. So Correct. You know, when you look at that, it's you want to be able to consider what the exits are in future. However, all going well, if you're earning a whole stack of income from it, it's very unlikely you're going to sell. And this is where the valuations, we talk about valuations because it was it was really quite hard for, for quite a while to find valuers that understood that product. There's so many people were holding on to these investments without selling them because they're making such good, like, such good incomes. Definitely, definitely. And you don't see any comparable sales when you talk about roaming houses. I think there was one sold in Frankston in Victoria in 2022 for like $1.8 million, right? And it was a nine-bedroom, three-bathroom, or four-bathroom or something like that. And so, of course, you know, from a commercial perspective, you know, people would naturally find it very attractive. The cash on cash return, like if you're generating $50,000 a year net after repayment, and you only need 200000 your payback period is literally four years, right? Yeah. Even just from a rental perspective, act, I mean, technically your payback period is one year because you can pull that money out pretty much right away at the valuation. Yes. But even if you think from a rental perspective, your payback period is like four years. In four years' time, the rental would basically pay yourself out. And now this property is bank-funded, right? Bank is funding the, everything. You've got your money back pretty much right away. So there is a lot of positives to some of these things and so you know naturally from a retirement perspective it is a really good product you know when, I, when i'm talking to the clients i also say that if you're looking at tax benefits and positive cash flow and premium growth at the same time in a single package then this is the product for you right um, especially in melbourne right you know you're buying it in a high demand growth suburb you're not overcapitalizing significantly. You're pushing the yields really, really high. You can hold it for as long as you want and not break the bank, still keep it negatively geared or still keep it neutrally geared, add the tax depreciation on top. And all of a sudden, you know, you're benefiting, benefiting out of taxes as well. And so people who follow like 20-year strategy, buy one property, never sell, you know, this product is perfect for them. Yeah, I love playing devil's advocate here. So the questions we often get is, 
is it is it filled is it filled with um students is it filled with overseas students because yeah they're pretty transient as well yes yes and look ultimately it depends on where are you going to build these right um the natural sort of attraction where people build these are uh closer to train station closer to hospitals closer to universities you know to get the higher occupancy rate in there so of course you would attract you know the students you would attract single parents you would attract you know you would not attract doctors or nurses anyone who says that is you know blandly lying to you i've never seen a nurse living in a, a rooming house or a bloody doctor who is earning 3250000 dollars or 300000 a year living in a rooming house right and so anyone who pitches it that way is definitely taking a mickey out of you but i think the biggest market to to cater for when you're talking about affordable living is this age bracket of people from 18 to i would say 23 right and so these are people who are just moving out of their houses you know they're doing casual jobs they're moving into professional space they don't want a big debt on them they don't want a big liability on them they don't want to go and get into big leases and so two of these friends or three of these friends would basically come in and live into the roaming house each holding a, a separate lease on everyone's name and so they don't want to share any liabilities together um i've seen girlfriends you know you know owning a a taking a bigger space in a roaming house you know and girlfriends and boyfriends basically you know coming in and doing that as well so yes i think that's your demographics that's your key demographics yes you would see wear and tear and so you have to be very very careful as you said at the start that a roaming house operator who's very you know stewed very savvy in selecting the right tenants making sure that you know um there are good rules in place they are managed properly you know does not become a party house it does not become you know one of those houses where you're having you know raw parties every night party night <laughs> every weekend yeah yes you don't want rave parties having in your rooming houses and next thing you know the council is at your doorstep and the neighbors are complaining because naturally these are in normal suburbs you know you can't tell that a house is a roaming house looking at it from outside yeah yeah and the the other area where people get quite concerned about is is whether you know you're cramming cramming people into a house where they're really unhappy that we're sort of you know taking advantage of those who can't rent anywhere else you know give us an idea of what these properties are like look i mean they are not tiny homes right and so you're talking about almost 300 square meter of build area you know if i talk about you know square meter for people who understand in square meter terms you're talking about almost 32 square meter house right 32 square meter house of bedrooms on suites robes storage their own small kitchenette their own personal space in majority of these you would have your own uh side table your own you know study your own space within the bedroom to you know add a bit of sofa set etc so you know these are quite spacious you know you're talking about an average bed size of you know at least you know 15 to 16 squares you know the bedroom size you know so they're not small they're square meters sorry not squares And so they're not small they're still decent size houses plus you get you know shared a kitchen like full size kitchen you get you know shared uh, laundry so you get all of those facilities in the house provided for you people do go 
like the investors do go a bit extra mile to attract quality tenants. And so they would add courtyards, you know, for people. They would do soundproofing, you know, to provide better privacy. They would have, you know, ducted heating and cooling, you know, in their in their full house. They would have uh, op- key-operated doors or, you know, passcodes on the doors, etc. They would provide an ample amount of storage at the front and the back through sheds. And so they really look after the tenants. It's not so much about, oh, you, you know, we are just going to maximize the returns. The idea is to put quality furniture in. The idea is to put, you know, nice interior design in. They need to look pleasant, you know. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, it's it's not, uh, you know, one of those rundown houses that you would think of a motel with terrible beds. You know, you want nice mattress. You want people to actually enjoy and live there. And so while these are classified as that short-term rentals, an average rental in a rooming house is still around two, two and a half years. So, yeah. And so it, it's like I said, it's where we're changing the perception of what these rooming houses are, are like. And the good operators and the good investors are the ones that are going to make it so that they're attractive. That definitely, that it, definitely it becomes a really easy option for whether it's a young person. We actually see a lot of of single parents that want to live in a suburban area close to their close to their families that rent a lot of these rooming houses as well. And in saying that, for an investor where there's opportunity, it's not only for young people, you might decide that you want to cater to a particular market where it could be women over 50. But there's a, there's a big market there, a lot of women over 50 find it really hard to find affordable rentals and things like that. So it caters to a lot of different areas in the market and 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 it's addressing a, a pain point. Definitely, definitely. And look, I mean, there are operators out there, you know, who would make this all about not just solving the problem, but it's a money grab, right? Like any other product out there from an investment perspective, right? And so while this product is almost, I would say, ticks the boxes in the moral and the ethical dilemma and you're solving a problem, you're helping a person out, etc. I've seen rooming houses which are shoebox rooming houses where people are actually trying to milk them for what they are, right? And so when I've visited those or where there is not enough space, right? And so they had a four-bedroom, two-bathroom that they converted into a six-bedroom, two-shared bathroom, you know, co-living space, right? And so there are six people sharing two bathrooms. Imagine the wear and tear that those two bathrooms would have, you know, especially if there are six students living there, right? And so... You know, people who are living in these places, of course, you know, they would respond to them in a similar fashion. And so, you know, you would see lower rental, you would see higher vacancy rates, you would see lower caliber of tenants, you would see more complaints. And so it's important to understand that, you know, the quality of the tenant and the management of the rooming house is the key focus. And so if you don't design it well, if you don't have a right uh, mindset in you know attracting a good clientele then you would end up with someone you know who is more of a headache than you know a blessing right from an investor perspective yeah what do you say uh we want to talk about the risk and the cons of investing in rooming house and it was we were not thinking about it and we think it's it's you know the best things in sliced bread sliced food. <laughs> <laughs> what are you know, what are some of the reasons you would not invest in rooming houses? 
Look, of course, there is still not a mainstream market for rooming houses. You know, it is still, although this product is almost 70, 80 years old, this is not a new product, by the way. Uh, people have been building rooming houses for yonks and yonks, right? Um, it's still not a mainstream product. And so the lenders are still getting used to it. And so if, God forbid, you have to sell it or if you have to take an exit out of this, you it, they are not liquid as liquid assets as a normal rooming house. And so you need to consider your own personal circumstances when you're building some of these things. Okay, that's, that's I think, one of the biggest risks, one of the key risks. The two, the, the second biggest risk is that for people who don't understand the financial structures and the finance side of things, if they try to build a nine-bedroom, nine-bathroom without attending to some of the intricacies and, you know, some of the risks in building these and getting them approved, etc., you can expose yourself to significant amount of, you know, risks where you have a land that you cannot build anything on, for example, because you haven't done the due diligence, for example. Or, you know, you have to cough up almost, you know, 40, 50, 60% of the cash, you know, if you're, say, building it for a million dollars, you might have to come up with 500000 in some scenarios because you haven't presented the structure properly to the banks. Okay? So you need to understand that, you know, while there is a way to get them at 20% or 80% lend, you know, majority of the times you would hear people talk about, oh, you need, you know, this can be only be lend at 60% LVR or 50% LVR. And that's why majority of the people stay away from nine bedroom, nine bathroom and, you know, are more focused on, say six bedroom, six bathroom or a five bedroom, five bathroom, because it's much more of a traditional looking house that the banks can value it at. So yeah, those are the two key risks. Of course, you know, some of the risks that we've talked about are in relation to attracting the right quality of tenants, right? And so, you know, don't cut corners, you know, put the right inclusions in. If you're furnishing it, make sure that you are putting in good furnitures in there to attract the right quality of tenants rather than just thinking from a bottom line perspective. I know that I always say, you know, think about the bottom line, think about the numbers, who cares, who lives. I don't care about the investment property. I think this is one of those where you can expose yourself to significant risk. You can expose yourself to a lot of headaches with a, with a tenant that does not want to leave and is not paying your rental. You know, it would be a hard one to crack and, you know, kick out, you know, from some of these rooming houses. And so, yeah, don't cut corners while you're making a lot of money and a lot of dough. Uh, you need to ensure that you're not cutting corners on, you know, the best roaming house operator, the build side, the the designing, etc. All of those things. Yeah. The regulatory, the the regulatory and the licensing side of things. So that's a really important part of that. Definitely, it's not around just building something with six bedrooms, six baths. There are regulations. Yes. There are regulations around, and so you make sure that you talk to someone who understands that, and that you're you're also ticking the boxes in terms of the licensing and the operator um, side Definitely. of things as Definitely. well. What other risks do you see, Cheryl, in relation to roaming houses? I think we've covered, covered most of it in that regard. I think the operation side of things is probably one of the big, one of the big ones. Working with someone, if you haven't done rooming houses before, is to work with someone who has and has that experience and knows... Definitely. The planning, the planning side of things. Um, what you know, what the council is going to to be happy with, what the council isn't going to be happy with. Um, yes. What what happened in terms of the licensing and operation? I'd say they're not so much risk, but the considerations more than anything, more than anything else. 
Um, yes. And sitting down with someone and, and working out what are what are the ways to finance it because it can it is not a a what you'd say a low cost investment. You know, it's not that you buy three thousand dollars property. It is if they're purpose built. You are talking about an average about a million dollars across. Australia nationally, living with yes, and then use the work yes to purpose build. So there is quite a bit of cash that goes into it. However, the return on investment on the cash is significantly higher than it will see for um, definitely property, which is your stock standard. Definitely, and again, I think caveating it out, a lot of what we have talked about today is uh, based on Victorian roaming houses. This is. You know, there might be different rules apply to Adelaide. There might be different rules that apply to Perth in Western Australia. There might be different rules that applies to New South Wales. Heck, even in Victoria, you know, different councils have, you know, different uh, variations that apply in relation to the rooming house code. Although the res code is predominantly similar, the interpretation of those uh, requirements are quite different, you know, from council to council as well. So it's important, yeah. definitely. It's a very important point that you're making right there. So I still think I'm in between you and I know we're we're big big fans of of this as a strategy to create six six figure income. I'd love Definitely. for audience here to share yeah, share your, your journey, share your experience in the rooming house space. So if you haven't heard about rooming houses, um what questions you have so that we can answer them as well. Or reach out yes. to the to you know, reach out to us and, and we know, we know some people that are doing this. We know Moss's Moss's area developing. I've I've got rooming houses as well, so it it is one of the strategies. So we'll Definitely. also be. Sh- you mentioned a few other strategies before. What are the other strategies that we're going to be talking about as well in in subsequent episodes, Moss? Yes, and so there are three more strategies. So we have talked up to strategy number three that we would, you know, come back and talk about strategy one and strategy two. But strategy four going forward are builder JVs that no one talks about. I'm doing a few builder JVs, and so we would definitely go into a bit more detail as to what builder JVs entails, how do you manage the risk, and what sort of returns can you make on builder JVs, and why would a builder do a JV with a normal investor? Builder JVs uh, or rental JVs as well. I think a lot of people don't know about rental JVs. And so we'll talk a bit about both of them as to what these, you know, interesting strategies are and how do you go about, you know, doing some of these things. The fifth one is, of course, you know, the, the JVs that the developers do amongst them, or, I, you know, you call it the sophisticated investing. And, you know, how do you go and become part of the equity partnerships of, you know, doing, you know, developments rather than doing it yourself being on the fence line but still earning some of these you know six figure money in becoming part of the developments without taking bigger risks and we'll talk about some of those as well and last but not the least which everyone talks about is you know doing it through buy and hold strategies of course you know how do you ensure that you can generate that you know six figure returns through buy and hold strategies as well of course anything else Cheryl that you can think of that we should slide in for our listeners that we can definitely talk of? Or is there a particular subject that you want to really, really talk about as the next episode so that we can give? I think it's important that we hold a little bit back, a little bit of mystery in terms of our next few episodes because there'd be plenty for us to go through. If there's anything where people are keen to, to find out, again, reach out to us, 
share and put put some comments in the podcast and we will definitely look at how we can integrate them into our new episodes as well. But in the meantime, Perfect. these are some really, really good episodes. They're going to be coming up indefinitely and must, must listen. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to us. This is Sherlyn Moss checking out. Keep smiling, stay safe, take care, keep investing. Adios. Ciao, everyone. Bye.